Dotnet Rocks episode 676 with guest Scott Guthrie. Recorded live Thursday, June 9th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We're on the floor at NDC, the Norwegian Developers Conference 2011 in Oslo, Norway, with none other than Scott Goo. Scott Guthrie, how are you, sir? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good keynote yesterday. Cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah no, it's... Uh... Uh, it was fun to do. Yeah, it was, it was fun to do. So, uh, Windows Azure. Yeah, what happened to your job? <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened to all that ASP.NET stuff? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I, I uh, changed jobs slightly. Uh, and so I'm spending a lot more time in the Azure space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I kind of run uh, kind of a, a core part of Windows Azure uh, focused on application model. Uh, so that it's really the development side of Azure. Yeah, the development side of Azure and and kind of the the core app platform side. So mm-hmm. yeah. runtime as well as development experience, and then also some of the management experience and portal tools and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still run a bunch of .NET, so ASP.NET still still right. part of my team. You still, do you still have all the guys you work with at DevDiv? Are all those teams went with you? Uh, some of the teams went with me. Oh, so, okay. So mm-hmm. the the CLR and WPF and Silverlight stayed in DevDiv. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the server pieces went with me. So ASP.NET's with me. Uh, WCF, which I, I didn't used to manage, is now part yeah, of my that, team. Yeah. I thought that was part of the SQL team, uh, WCF. Yeah, well, uh, organizationally, we had kind of an app server team right? Um, that uh, owned WCF and AppFabric and a bunch of uh, commerce server and BizTalk and a bunch of things there. Mm-hmm. And so that team's now part of my uh, broader organization. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's, a fun, it's, a, it's a great group. Not to be all, you know, to gush or anything. It's like, whatever you touch, good things will happen. So I'm excited <laughs> for those. Very excited. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see. I, I appreciate the oh, well, vote of confidence yeah. there. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, it, it, I think it's going to be uh, uh, kind of fun because the cloud the cloud's kind of a, a pretty exciting place. Um, I think it's, it's a place where most developers both on .NET and not on .NET, have not yet gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got a lot of noise because people are going there, but uh, it's a thing that a lot of people kind of say, it's on my roadmap, but I right. haven't got there yet. Well, and, and, and uh, that kind of be a lot of, large part of my job is, A, how do we, uh, you know, how do we make you successful there? Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, how do we re- reduce friction in getting there right. so that you actually get there a lot faster? And then ultimately, how do you do more as a developer once you're there? And I think that, that that's kind of what I tried to cover in my keynote yesterday is, right. is the, the, the opportunities of having infinite storage, of having the infinite ability to do compute, of having kind of a rock-solid mission-critical data center environment that you can run code in, and the opportunity to use things like messaging and caching and new security features that just fundamentally didn't exist before. Uh, if we can make that just turnkey simple, yeah, uh, I can't, really just opens up a world of possibilities. That I can't tell I'm deploying to the quote-unquote cloud. I'm just yeah. deploying my app and yep. it works. Yep, and Can I have you? security and I have, you know, I feel comfortable. Hey, it's always going to be there and everyone in my organization, only my organization can hit it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the standard stuff people are looking for, I think if we can make that just so bright and dead easy that we can all do it day in and day out, then 
you know, I think developers' jobs get a lot better. And that's that's kind of what I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. Can, can we jump back to one, two, three about Azure and specifically about the two different ways that you can use it, uh, the two different roles, that sure. uh, the, the worker role, the VM role, and, and what the difference is between those things and what uh, one gives you over the other? Yeah, well, you know, I'd say, you know, Azure's a couple things for people that are coming, you know, that, that uh, don't know Azure today. You know, Azure is basically, it's uh, it's... In some ways, it's sort of an operating system in the in the sky mm-hmm. uh, or in the cloud, in the sense of you know it, it provides a way to kind of say, here's an app, go distribute it. Um, it provides a whole bunch of hardware resources and storage and networking resources that you can use. Yeah. So we do offer public data centers that you can host your code in, and then it has a whole bunch of kind of distributed application building block services uh, like messaging, caching, storage mm-hmm. that you can take advantage of. So you know that's that's Azure at a broad level. You know, in terms of kind of from a feature perspective, the way to think about it as a developer is we have a number, I call them sometimes containers, that you can run developer code in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can run it inside a virtual machine, uh, just like, you know, that, that looks just like Windows Server or whatever operating system you're running in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of hosters and cloud providers offer that today. Right. And, and we're going to have a great virtual machine-based hosting offering as well as part of Azure. But then the other thing that we kind of, you know, we've noticed is if you if you just sort of create a Windows image or a server image and upload it, um, you know, there's some benefits in that you're running on someone else's hardware and you, you can, you know, elastically go up and down a little bit, but yeah. there's still a lot of overall still, IT costs. Yeah, you own the OS that. still. You're still patching, yeah, patching and dealing with all that. You're having to install things, you're having to configure things. Mm-hmm. And you know, less for your own code, but more for the code that you're, you're, you're the more things that your code relies on. Let's say right, your SQL right. databases. Yeah. Or if you're doing messaging, you know, your MSMQ environment. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing a cache server, your cachers. You know, if you want those things to be reliable, you need to do clustering. You've got to make sure that you have the monitoring set up. Right. There's just a bunch of crap, frankly, that you have to do in order to manage that. Mm-hmm. And so It's not that the, the, the fan, CPU fan's going to choke it, but at the yeah. same time, you've got all that software to manage. And, you know, especially with, with any type of, of app that's distributed, you know, everything seems to work well until it doesn't. Yeah. And so, you know, the number of people that send me mail on a monthly basis where, you know, their databases crash and they realize they had backup set up on and it's yeah. just horrible mails. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, you know, they've just wiped yeah, out six months of their company's yeah. business. Yeah, dude, you are screwed. I, mean, yeah, you know, I don't you know, know. I know you're emailing me hoping for, for sunshine, but the reality is. You know, and, you know, yeah. it's, you know there's there's places you can send people who kind of try to grovel through disks to try to recover stuff. But yeah. It's, yeah. it's a truly terrifying moment when you realize that. And, you know, in a, in a cloud environment where you only have virtual machines, that's what you're, you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. so what we try to do with Azure is so we, we will have virtual machines. But we also kind of create sort of services that we run that we that we manage. So, for example, SQL Azure is a kind of database that we provide within with Azure uh, that is a SQL server. Uh, so it has the same ADO.NET programming model that you use today. You can mm-hmm. use EF and Hibernate, Link to SQL, Subsonic, whatever your favorite data access technology is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use SQL Management Studio to open it up and create tables and, and really make yourself out. feel like you're just running a SQL server. Yeah, it is yeah. SQL, but we're running it in the cloud. You know, we auto cluster it. We do auto sharding. We do all the patching and management and backup, yeah. and we do kind of the the performance um, work to make sure it, it runs twenty four seven really yeah. reliably. Yeah. And the benefit there is, you know, I can create a VM or I can create what we call a web or worker role, 
and write code against SQL Azure just like I would locally against SQL. Yeah. But I don't have to manage, you know, I don't have to even have a DBA to do all that management for me. It's yeah, kind yeah. of done for me. And that's an example of kind of a classic uh, platform as a service that right. we offer. In that in that worker role, you mentioned that we have you know, SQL Management Studio uh, on the website. Can mm-hmm. we use IIS management yeah. tools so basically, the same way? The, well, the web role today... Um, so there's, well, before you get to the web world, there's a couple other services beyond SQL Azure. There's caching, mm-hmm. where I can just say, I want to cache, I want to be four gigs. We'll give you, yeah. here's a URL to it. You go against it. Right. Again, we do all the scale out and the management. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do something called Service Bus, which is a messaging system. Right. And then we have things like storage, blob storage, um, and others. So there's a bunch of services like that. When you go to run code, then you can run it inside a VM. Or what we typically push people towards is something we call a web role or worker role, mm-hmm. um, where, again, you don't actually manage the OS. You right. instead just say, here's my ASP.NET app, run it. Right. Um, the web role runs full IS. Okay. So it's it's the same IS web server you'd run locally. Um, it is, you run inside your own virtual machine, so you're the only person running in that OS image. So you have you isolation. you able to use uh, the IS client to manipulate things like turning compression on, turning on... Yep. Static cache, all of those sorts of settings we normally do in IIS. But it's not a VM that you would remote into with a remote desktop? No, you can remote desktop in. So oh, you can? Yeah, you, you didn't used to be able to, but you basically when you go to deploy that role, you can check enable remote desktop now. And that's even in a, with a worker role? You can do that for both web and worker roles, wow. yeah. Hmm. And so if you want to, you can remote desktop in. You are an admin on the box. Right. Um, and so you have full access. But kind of the, the model we're trying to push is you automate it. Right. And so instead of going into the admin tool and turning on compression, yeah. put it in the config file, and right. then just yeah. that way it's a one-time thing, right. and you're guaranteed to work. And the nice thing about both the web and worker roles is as part of configuring them, you can go in and say, I would like you to run five instances of this website, and I want you to run them in on eight-core machines. Right. And we'll spin up eight, you know, five yeah. eight-core machines and, and run your website. And well, what's, and, what's the difference between the web role and the worker role? Well, the web role basically is designed for web apps, and so it's running full IIS. Yeah. Um, and so IIS is already pre-installed and configured. Okay. Uh, and you can say, like, you know, here's my vRoots, go. Okay. Um, the worker role is, is more designed for uh, we're going to run, you know, some background code that is probably, that might or might not have any UI to it. I see. And so typical model would be use the web role for your front-facing website or yeah. to host WCF over HTTP. Okay. And then your worker role could be, hey, I'm going to listen to queue messages and yeah. do stuff in the background. The app server, orders. the middle tier stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more of that. Uh, a lot of the middle tier infrastructure, though, is service bus and caching in, in the database. We provide for you. Yeah. So you don't even have to have a worker role to do that. I see. But if you, if you wanted, the classic example would be the website places orders, mm-hmm. and then a worker role runs the logic to fulfill them and go through billing and yeah, shipping, yeah, so the meantime, the website said, okay, thanks very much, we'll fill your order, yep. you'll get an email when it's ready, yep. and that connection's done, yep. and meantime, there's a back-end worker role off making calls to make that happen. Exactly. So when I remote desktop into a web role, uh, obviously, since you're doing all the OSE things for me, I'm, I'm not going to have access to control panels and... Admin stu- really? Yeah, when you wrote this up in, you have full access to the machine to tweak it. But you're managing um, it. But we're managing it. So basically what we say is, uh, by default, every time a web role starts up, we yeah. will start it up in a base image. Okay. So if you change something in the control panel and then the world restarts, yeah. that setting will by default be lost. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, this is where you said, put it in the configuration, the configuration file. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like if you already pee in, you're making a mistake because you're, you're setting yourself up to make changes you're not going to keep. 
Well, the, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the thing about RDPing in the reason we enable is really twofold. One is uh, sometimes just debugging stuff's easier it's locally. Much easier, yeah. And so you're like, hey, I got a problem. Let me quickly remote in, use Task Manager, use PowerShell locally. Right. Yeah, IAS will, uh, or ASP.NET will only show you the errors if you're yeah. running locally. Well, I want to check the log real quick. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good, frankly, safety valve where I just need to quickly right. check something and I want to quickly check it. Uh, the other thing that, that's useful for remoting in is I want to tweak something very quickly to see if that's the right setting. Right. Yeah. I don't need to keep it. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try it. Oh, that was the right one. Then go in the config file and actually make it persistent. Yeah. 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 Rather than change the config file and then redeploy yeah. the app because that yeah. takes longer too. Yeah, it takes a little longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik JustCode. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Again, in these web and worker roles, all the system management is done for you. So why would somebody use a, a virtual machine? Are there instances where are, are there specific scenarios where a VM makes more sense? Well, I think the the, the it's a good question. I mean, things that don't run natively in Azure, perhaps. Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly things that don't run natively or or not don't have direct management support inside mm-hmm. a web or worker role. Mm-hmm. You know, generally, I'd say the VM is is uh, you can think of it to some extent as is it is it the destination or is it the step on the destination? Yeah, um, sort of what I'm thinking. You know, generally, I'd say we don't necessarily think of it as a destination. I mean, certainly some people will just upload a VM and stop at that. Right. Uh, but it, you know, a lot of people have custom code. Yeah. You know, that, that's doing something weird and wacky, or it just it does it that way. It's right. Not, that's not bad. And if they were to rewrite it, they'd write it differently. Mm-hmm. But. The nice thing about the VM world is, you know, is the goal behind it is a you can upload something that already works today on premise yeah, yeah, yeah. and it works in the cloud, right? And you don't have to do the rewrite in order to take advantage of the cloud benefits. You'd also see an app gradually be pulled apart, right? I get it up as mm-hmm. a VM and then maybe lift mm-hmm. the web piece yeah. off yeah. onto a, yeah. a web role and communicate Stepping back stone. to the VM yeah. exactly. until one day I pulled everything off the VM and I don't need it anymore. How about Windows services? Yeah, Windows services would be a good example of, of what you probably would run in a VM role. Right. Or, uh, you know, MSMQ. Yeah. Or, um, you know, a bunch, bunch of, uh, you know, even just things where you might have, like, your own automated scripts for yeah. launching things. Yeah, yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you can run the VM And our VM role today is stateless, uh, which is a, both good and bad. Stateless um, meaning? Meaning, basically, you give us a VHD, we boot it up. Yeah, but every time we, re, you know, if the machine restarts, we actually start from that base VHD. Oh. it's not durable. I don't know. Um, it's whatever you save to it isn't going to last. Correct, and yeah. and so we're doing work to make the VM image better in the future and offer more features. So um, if I install a Windows service when it reboots, it's gone. Uh, what you do is you'd install it in the VHD and then create a, a di- oh, you yeah, know, yeah. Then you'd actually 
you know, upload the VHD. So what you typically do for our, our existing VM role is create a VHD, customize it however you want, yeah, and then basically upload it, and then we'll launch it. And right. Part of the goal behind it being stateless is um, then you can you know that you can say I want five instances yeah. of this and it will work. Right. Yeah. Whereas once you start storing state, it gets a little trickier to yeah. kind of scale it out. Okay. You, you, yeah, that stops people from making mistakes with it essentially. Yep. But it does mean that every time I want to update that. VM, I have to redeploy the VHD. That's how it works today. Yeah. Could be many gigs. Like that could take a while. We do. Yeah, we allow you to upload it to uh, what's called block storage. Right. And so we can upload it in chunks and, and things like that. But it it is. I mean, it, it, it's it's not as uh, uh, it's not as easy to use today as we'd like. Right. And um, I'm just thinking the iteration. You know, we were talking about the iterations yep. on a on a web and worker role the iterations on a VHD that way could be quite slow it would take yeah. a while to yeah it's, it's, it's definitely something that, that uh, you know we recognize and we're, we're working on making it one better step of the dot yeah alright here's a scenario for you so tell me if let's say I had a, a .NET app and I don't know maybe it's running as a console app for some reason or maybe it's a Windows Forms app or something and I want to run that do I have to run that in a, let's say it's a mail server, like a little mm-hmm. SMTP server or something. Mm-hmm. Do I have to run that in a, in a VM? Or no, can I run, can run that in a worker, worker role? role. You can definitely run that in a worker role. Hmm, really? yeah, the worker role lets you basically kick off tasks as part of startup. Okay. And so you could definitely launch your own processes or, okay. or apps as part of that. Yeah. But, it, but it's also stateless, right? It is also stateless, yeah. Now, you can mount disks, and the disks are... Are durable. Oh, so probably in a worker, you know, let's say a mail server style scenario. Yeah, what you'd probably do is you'd mount uh, a disk, and then your mail server would be stateless, but it's reading and writing to that disk. Right, um, and that disk is, of course, has state. Yeah, and that yeah. disk, of course, and that state would survive or you know restarts. Okay, and so if it's stateless, my worker, and I start a worker role from your base image. How do I kick off that server every time it reboots? Uh, well, basically, what you could do is uh, inside the worker role, you could just say, "Hey, here's a drive I want to mount." Okay. Um, where I'm going to use for my storage, and then here's a startup task. And okay. you know, we have startup tasks that are as simple as give me the command line argument, and we'll just launch it. Okay. Or you could write your own, you know, app that integrates as part of our health monitoring, and you can add a little bit more. So we can we can do startup tasks. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. can multiple instances mount the same drive? Uh, today, no. Okay. Um, uh, what you can do is you can actually, uh, if you want to be really fancy, you can actually launch a worker as a file server. Ah, right. And, and then you could have multiple and then the Multiple workers, workers communicate with that worker that owns the drive. The drive. Yeah. Right. And so that's an interesting way to get around the whole blob storage thing. Mm-hmm. Because we were talk- who were we talking to just recently uh, about, you know, he didn't recommend moving to the cloud. Moving to Azure, like moving existing stuff is tricky because you have to rewrite anything that does local file mm-hmm. access. You have to rewrite with blob storage and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Is this a way around that by mounting This is a way around it today. I mean, it, it basically, um, you know, it, it does require, you know, some thought in terms of doing it. Sure. But it, but you can enable most scenarios that way. You know, we're trying it's to make it even better in the future so that, so that uh, you know, the common, I just want to take an app and move it we can actually make even simpler. Yeah. Um, but that whole angle of the cloud being elastic and scalable depends on 
stateless That's right. functionality as much as possible, minimizing where the state exists. So when, when you have multiple instances, they're not all going to be able to see that. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I'd say the, the thing that we started with on Azure as a good principle, and I think the way, if you look at the features we have today, it's really been designed, is how do we kind of guide you to the pit of success? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the default the, techniques are the scalable techniques. And so the yeah. default techniques are, hey, be stateless um, on your, your app code mm-hmm. and be redundant, basically be fault tolerant right. and, and highly available. And make it difficult not to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was kind of the approach the team took, which is a, a good philosophical approach, and it's guided us towards an architecture that I think does really promote that. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are customer apps that were frankly were written not with the, those philosophies right. in mind. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so, not all apps need to scale. There's also you know, there's plenty of reason to move to the cloud just to save the cost of ownership. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's as big as it needs to be. I only need one instance of this. That's yep. good enough. Just yep. I don't want to own the hardware anymore. Yeah, and that's and that's where you'll see us take Azure in the future is mm-hmm. uh, continue down the path. Of, you know, how do we make sure we we guide you towards the pit of success? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we're going to make it even easier to take existing code and make it work. Yeah, right. Well, then it seems like a, most of the folks are being successful with cloud at the platform level right now are greenfield. They're building new yeah. stuff. I'd say most apps on Azure today are greenfield. Mm-hmm. Now, the yeah. important thing to keep in mind is you know an ASP.NET app works in Azure. So, you know, take an, an existing ASP.NET app, whether it's a WebForms app, an MVC app. Uh, Unless it writes to the local disk. Yeah, but most ASP.NET apps don't. Right. I mean, you're going to get in trouble with ASP.NET if you try writing to the local well, disk. Anyway. Or if you're P-invoking. Like, there's things you can do in ASP.NET. That's you gonna... can P-invoke in Azure. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, we do make you go through a checkbox that says, like, hey, I know this is dumb. Please yeah. do it anyway. Uh, but, uh, uh, That's the best kind of eula yeah, ever. Yeah. I'm going to do dumb hey, things. You know, Agree. You know that this is really dumb, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, but we do let you do it, um, and um, and it's you know it's it's basically just go properties in the project and say, yep, I want to enable. Uh, I see an know, article called "Calm in the Cloud" yeah. coming. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to register calm, you can do that too. Uh, you know, and so I'd say most ASP.NET apps tend to be. You know, web front end with a SQL database back end. Right. And those are probably the easiest apps to migrate to mm-hmm. Azure uh, because the web role is full IIS now. It does support full ASP.NET. And SQL Azure basically gives you a SQL database in the cloud. And right. So, and Tech had uh, they announced some migration tools to make it easier to pick up a SQL database yeah. and put it into SQL Azure. Yeah. So. And you're going to see I, some some tutorials. Like I literally just got it, one in my inbox today at the first draft of, you know, very simply, hey, let me build an ASP.NET app yeah. against a SQL Azure database mm-hmm. running inside Azure. You know, what are the step-by-step instructions? And, you know, the goal is, you know, read this in 15 minutes. You can duplicate and have an ASP.NET app going with SQL. Once you understand those principles, you can take your existing app and port it pretty easily. All right, here's a quest, dumb question for you, maybe. Uh, so let's say I, I want a website where there is no ASPX or code or anything. It's just a web root where I want to dump some files, some MP3 files, let's say, I don't know who would have MP3 files. I don't know. Yeah. Or some video files or something that I want to give somebody a URL to, and I just want to quickly copy those files up there. Is there a a shell extension for Windows that I can just mount that as a drive and copy files up? Yeah. So, well, there's a couple things you can do. One is um, you can certainly, within a web role, obviously, uh, stick storage and just copy things up. And so, um, I think our default image size is... It's like a small role inside Azure. I think it's like 20 or 40 gigs of storage. Right. Yeah, it's just to get in your web root and you're good to go. And that's a that just mounts as a drive? 
Uh, yeah, how do you get the files up there? That's what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Well, the the yeah, I mean, you, you you can just add it into your project and upload it that way. The the best way to do it though, um, in terms of kind of deploying things that are like data resources like that, is mm-hmm. to take advantage of something we call blob storage. And so, blob storage is uh, you think of it as a file system in the sky, right? Uh, and effectively, you can think of a blob as a file. Is yep. the simplest way, mm-hmm. um, and so you could say, "Hey, you know, foo.mp3, copy it into my uh, .NET Rocks .Azure, you know, .blobs .Azure .com, or what exactly what our address is, um, and you can you can map a DNS C name to it, so it could just look like shows .NETROCKS.org or .NET." Um, what and I, and uh, what I know you have to do with uh, S3, Amazon S3, is you have to copy it up using a, a tool that you have to either write or, you know, use or buy or something yeah. like that. I wrote a little command line tool. And you also have to, like, check a, a file permission on it that allows everybody yeah. to have access to it. Is it the same idea? Basically the same idea with Azure. Uh, we do have tools that you mount it as, like, a drive or so you can do you know, a simple file copier. Yep. Because yeah. there was, a, it really bugged me, too. There was an Amazon tool that I got, and I'm not saying who it is, but you mount your drives and everything, and then you copy them up, but it doesn't set that bit for you, and it, there's no way to do it. So what good is it? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's something about, out. Talk about dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, we have tools like that, and I, I, don't, I don't know if they set the bit or not, but I hope they do. God, uh, I hope so. And, or at uh, least give me an option. Yeah, there's a couple There's a couple cool ones. Uh, Christian Weyer uh, was just telling me he's got a cool one. Cool. Um, and Mark Rosinovich was saying he's got one 80% and Of written. course he's got one. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think we'll probably include one in the SDK or maybe uh, multiple in the SDK in the future. A lot of the cool folks at my, I mean, Mark Rosinovich is over in the Azure team now, too, yep. right? There's yeah. some really interesting people all <laughs> clustered together yeah. here. Got a little brain trust going on. Yeah, 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 no, some it's, good it's, things. It's fun, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people working on this space now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Mark and I exchange mail at least every other day or every third day. Nice. That's um, awesome. Which is cool, yeah. So, I mean, you've only just gotten there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't even envision some of the changes. What is our development? I'm just thinking about the next stage of me as a software developer working with this. And Studio is just going to be part and parcel with the cloud. It's going to work. Seamless, happy, glowing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you love it so much you want to lick it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, <laughs> that's our goal. Yeah, that's where you're going. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, mean, I think a lot of it is sort of... Uh, uh, you know, how do we how do we make sure that it, it is just, you know, fun to work with, mm-hmm. friction-free to work with? Like, one of the first things I did was when I got there is I... Uh, yeah, I sort of took uh, all of our senior people and said, like, hey, we're going to do a couple of day, a couple, of, a couple of offsites. Mm-hmm. We're going to spend the whole day, and um, and uh, and we did we did one where we, we went to a hotel, got sixty five people. And we said we're going to split up into teams, you know, six person teams, eleven teams, and uh, I gave them each a credit card. You know, went down and got a twenty five dollar credit card for everyone, and said we're going to be users for a day. Yeah. And we're going to spend ten hours writing code on Azure, like, and you know, and these are general managers and you know, people that are like, hey, it's been a while since I wrote code. Said, right. It's great. This is this is a day you're going to write code. <laughs> um, and you know, we paired everyone up so that no one was completely lost. Right. And you made them 
customers. They had to buy an account. They had yep. to set everything up from scratch. The rules were you had to create your own new account. Mm-hmm. So even if you already had one, you had to create a new live ID. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had already had live IDs. Yeah, then, oddly enough. Yeah. Oddly enough, and we're like, wow, it's actually harder to get one than we'd like. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you had to go through the billing process and the approval process. And, you know, and, and we gave people a couple scenarios and said, you get to pick one of these scenarios. Um, and build it as a team and then report out your findings. And it was great. I mean, if people were like, wow, we got to fix this. Wow, this was slow. Wow, this was painful. And, Stuff is harder than um, you realize. Yeah. Especially to get started. What was cool is the end of the day, each team actually had some pretty cool stuff built. Nice. And so, uh, um, you know, by the end of the day, I think everyone was like, wow, there's a lot of power. Right. But that first two hour experience is uh, more, too much friction. Yeah, it was too much friction. And, and I, I think everyone sort of left going, you know, it's, it's easy to fix. I mean, a lot of the stuff's easy to fix. Right. You know, like have samples, uh, you know, have the website be more explainable, you yeah. know, explain billing, smooth the sign-up process. I mean, there's yeah. lots of stuff that's not huge work to do, And but it's great to catalog and basically, you know, a lot of, part of my job right now is just, okay, we've identified all these problems, let's go fix them. Yeah, and set a priority and get them done. Well, and an interesting, we all have live IDs. We've had them yep. for a long time. Mm-hmm. We probably would not even recognize the live ID sign-up process yep. anymore. Probably. Yeah, it's, you, know, you wouldn't even recognize it's like, well, you know, it's not, it, everything is doable, but it's it's just sort of like, assume you don't know the system, assume right. you don't know right. why you want to do this, mm-hmm. how do you rem- or eliminate all that friction? And uh, once you get to the, once you really get Azure, and you know, for me, that's been the fun part of the last couple of weeks. Is you know, I knew Azure, but I and I knew it on paper, but I mm. hadn't actually really internalized it. Right. You know, this this world of elastic compute is just incredibly powerful. And I don't mean, you know, just to give you a couple of examples. It sounds you know trite to say cloud is great, uh, but you know, in a, in a world where storage is cheap enough that you can save everything. Yes. You know, imagine you know every rough cut of .NET Rocks that you've ever done. Yeah. You know, imagine, you know, every transaction log of anyone that's downloaded your shows. Yeah. Um, if you imagine everyone that's ever bought anything or any advertiser that's ever spent anything. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you can save that um, in one place, uh, cheap enough that it doesn't matter that you are saving all that information, which might be gigabytes, could be terabytes. Mm-hmm. You know, for large companies, it might be petabytes of storage. Right. But if it's cost effective where it's, hey, it's minimal amount per month compared to what your revenue is. And then you can very easily write a program that analyzes it and says, wow, you know what? Most of our customers are coming from this geography mm-hmm. or most of our customers are coming from this sector or most of our customers spend an average of only listening to the first 20 minutes of the show or most of our advertisers tend to actually pay more of the money towards this parts of the year. You know, those are insights that suddenly will change how you approach the business. And once you can tweak things slightly, mm-hmm your business and the number of people that listen to the show might improve, you know, increase 20, 30%. And sure. That type of very simple, it's a no brainer to do that. Right. But you can increase your business 10, 15, 20, 30%. Mm. You know, as a developer, you can deliver that value for your organization or for your company. Mm. You know, that's gold. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, and you're trying to lower the bar for analytics. The analytics has sort of been around for a long time, but typically a relatively costly exercise. Yeah. And, you know, typically storage. if you want to do for a large organization, you know, setting up a data mart of terabytes of storage, you know, it's something you think hard about mm-hmm. unless there's an expert around who can help you do it. And unless, you know, your company says, yeah, we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars hoping yeah, we'll we're going to get a return out of the future. Yeah. So, in a world where you can say, like, actually, it's ten cents per gigabyte. Yeah, and, and it's actually easier to keep this stuff than clean it up. Yeah, you know, it's something that's a no-brainer to do, mm-hmm. and it's not a big capital investment. 
it, it ends up being something where you say like, hey, let's spend, let's spend a couple hundred bucks and try it out one month and see if we learn anything. Right. And if we don't, then no, no harm done. No harm done. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So, Scott, let's say I have 10 terabytes of historical data all on a stack of DVDs that stretches from here to the moon, and I want to put that in the cloud. Can I send that to you and have some monkey sit there and copy the data off for me, or do I have to upload that? Well, it's good. Yeah, it's a good question. So, uh, one of the things we are looking to enable is is uh, in the future, you know, we'll likely be kind of like, hey, you can send us a hard drive yeah. or a storage, and we'll just plug it in. And yeah, somewhere it. around a uh, hundred gigs, FedEx is faster than Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. And so, yeah, yeah, those are types of things that we are looking at doing. Yeah. FedEx is faster than Wi-Fi. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, certainly. You know, I'm not sure 100 gig. 100 gigs probably upload Wi-Fi yeah. is still faster. Yeah, probably. Somewhere about a you know a terabyte. A terabyte. A terabyte. Terabytes, <laughs> you know, FedEx might be faster. Yeah. yeah. So that's something you're looking into. The other. Uh, the other thing that we, we like to talk about when we talk about the cloud is the ability to automatically scale based on the load requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what I'm talking about is you've got a website, you start out, and you know maybe it just turns into the hottest thing since sliced bread. And you, I mean, okay, I know that my website's failing because it's under heavy load, so I go and I spin up another processor or another machine. And then that hits the wall and somebody else gets an error. What I really want to avoid is hitting that wall in the first place. Yep. I want it to know that I need more and then automatically give me more. Can yeah. can we do that? Uh, yes and no. Um, you can definitely elastically scale it today. Manually. Uh, well, it's not really manual. So basically the way it works is when you create, say, a web role, um, you can pick how big you want that web role to be. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a single core machine? Is it an eight core machine? Mm-hmm. And then how many instances of that machine do you want? So I can yeah. say I want you know four one core machines, or I want four eight core machines. Um, and at any point you can change it. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it takes a few minutes, and then we'll we'll spin up new instances, and you know, no traffic's lost during that time. Uh, what we don't currently have is the ability to say automatically when your CPU hits a certain level, yeah. just create it for me. Well, and the, and the question is, what is the measurement? Because a busy website is usually not CPU, right? It's, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's latency. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it might be memory utilization. And so, you know, you'll see us add Database. those types of heuristics in the future. Right. Today, what we'd say is write a script, and the script can monitor the utilization right. and automatically do it. And there are a bunch of uh, nice ISVs out there that have built tools that can help you, try okay. help that. you do that all so, so you can write a script to do this. Oh, yeah. The nice thing about Azure is everything is exposed to a nice REST API. Really? And so you can write scripts that pretty much monitor any utilization. And programmatically spin and up Programmatically instances. make changes and spin up instances and spin down instances when you don't. Well, there you right. go. There's your answer. It, it, yeah. But you mean, it really doesn't have to mean you roll your own. You have to decide what it is. I remember when we did interviews with folks that were talking about their large-scale cloud apps, 
coming into that busy weekend, they just over-provisioned. Yeah. Because it's not all that costly to have instances running that aren't busy. Sure. You know, when they're loaded down, it costs more, yeah. but then that's fine. So they're just like, well, here comes the big Saturday. We you know open the door for ticket sales at 9 a.m. We provisioned everything, lots yeah. of it, and then, you know, worried about trimming it down or expanding it up later on. Oh, that's a good question. You can spin it up script with a script. You can also spin it down with a script. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So it, it is, it's the, the thermostat effect. Yeah. You know, once at two degrees below, you could step it down. Once I'm yep. two degrees above, you could step it up. And I'd say the other thing to think about is uh, in terms of resources, you know, uh, things like caching. Mm-hmm. as a service which we now offer mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you're not cpu bound you know you're you're your uh, memory bound your or memory bound or your thread or, bound or, 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 database or bound. just you're doing something long lived yeah and you know a classic example would be hey you know provision a cache you can choose what memory size you want mm-hmm. so it's a two gig cache four gig cache you know i think we give you 128 meg free cache in the free trial right um you know, you could stick, you know, the show list and the key things that, that you would otherwise hit the database for mm-hmm. in the cache. And, you know, that's a great example where you really don't want to spin up 10 worker roles or yeah. t- 10 web roles. You might want to spin up two or three web roles. Just make them go faster. But actually, you know, cache it. It's a distributed cache. So if any of those web roles stick the show list in it, all the other web roles you can see it. Can see it. This is um, Velocity. Um, yeah, it used to be called Coding Velocity, yeah. and we shipped it as App Fabric cache server mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, last year. Now it's just an Azure feature as well. Same programming model, both on-premise and in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you can go in the control panel now and say, "Yep, I'd like a cache. Pick the size. We give you a URL, and then you just write code against it. And uh, you know, nice, simple API. Put and get whatever items you want in there. Right, and, and, and all the roles can see it. All the roles, and we also have ASP.NET providers so that session state output cache. Uh, modules inside ASP.NET can work. They just drop on. Yeah. Nothing to it. Now I know that you um, and in your in you know as long as you've been as long as I've known you answer maybe a hundred emails a day from people who have questions and suggestions and uh, you're you're a really a face to face kind of uh, person and I imagine that gives you a lot of uh, insight into what customers are wanting. So do do you carry that same uh, approach over to the Azure team? Are, are people constantly giving you suggestions about you know, what should be in the next version? What's the next killer feature? Do you have a sense of what people are, are asking for? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, um, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm on this, this trip that I'm on is you know, I'm doing a couple talks you know, on ASP.NET and, and you know some of the, the, the core.NET stuff that I've always owned, mm. but uh, but also you know trying out new Azure talks, yeah, and you know meeting with Azure customers and startups and ISVs and enterprises that are bet- betting on Azure today, and you know keep asking like, hey, what do you like? What don't you like? What do you want to see changed? And what do you want to see us add in the future? Mm. And um, uh, you know, and so you know a lot of what I've spent the last four or five weeks on is just trying to figure out. You know, a how to explain Azure in a way that I think for developers is a little bit more approachable. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, right. I think a lot of the people I talk with Azure say like, I know I should do it, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. You know, and help me understand what it is and what I why yeah. I should care. Um, well, I have a clear understanding just from talking to you because the, a lot of the people that we've talked to have given us the sort of marketing business yeah. uh, approach. Yeah, and, and not so very technical. And that's you know a lot of. Uh, what you'll see me do over the next couple months is, 
you know, both with the product itself, you know, that, that includes documentation, the website, yeah. things like that. Like, how do we make it more approachable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, you know, once we have that in, in a spot where I feel like, yeah, I can start really evangelizing it mm-hmm. and getting a lot of uh, people that, you know, already subscribe to my blog, mm-hmm. uh, successful with it, you know, you'll see me blog more about it. And, um, you know, I, you know, I think you're going to hear a lot more about Azure over the next 12 months mm-hmm. yeah. than you probably even have in the last the previous 12 months. But there's also, there's, there are features and there's scenarios we want to enable yeah. that we don't today. And so, um, you know, that's a lot of what I'm doing with this trip is just absorbing information, right. prioritizing, figuring out, okay, how do we, you know, after this podcast, I could go send mail to my yeah. team of saying like, Hey, okay, here's the priorities of the things we need to get done in the sure. next six weeks. You know, I want this person doing this, this, and this, and this. Can you share with us some of the more exciting uh, things that people have asked for? Uh, you know, the funny thing is a lot of the things that people ask for are the mundane things. Really? That, that are things that just should work better. Yeah. You know, billing. Like, hey, I'd love to have my bill be oh, a little yeah, bit yeah. easier to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to have a... a Sign up for a free trial without a credit card. Yeah, you know it, it, it's not super rocket science, right? But right. those are pain points that a lot of people feel today. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of features, uh, you know, I think the area of monitoring is something that a lot of people have asked for, which is mm. you know, tell me alerts in real time, mm. how my site's doing, performance, can mm. I scale up, scale down? I think that's that's definitely something a lot of people ask for. Yeah. I think deployment being a little bit uh, faster and, and easier is something a lot of people have asked for. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the fundamentals people really like. It's just sort of how we round out those fundamentals that are most where the requests come in and how do we, you know, how do we make it even more approachable and simpler to use. Um, and, you know, the good news is we've got great plans and all those things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as long as you have the, the fundamentals right, which I feel like we do with Azure, yeah, yeah. then it's just, you know, a matter of, of putting, you know, the resources on the different other items to get done. And, you know, I think, I think you're going to see Azure... You know, continue to evolve in a pretty nice way. Well, Scott Cuthbert, thank you so much for spending this uh, 45 minutes with us or so, and um, wish you continued success. Thanks a bunch. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully being on more shows in the future. So yeah. we'll see it build, right? Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, we'll be there. We'll be there. Yeah, we'll do a show there. I think we'll do a show there. Yes, we will. <laughs> Until then, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.